0: say 12 months today has been a very long and dark road.
1: not seeing him around. it's a heartbreaking thing but the heart is still being broken because there's no closure.
2: A year since the disappearance of a man from WIZs Kimberley his friends and family are desperately calling for answers that story soon. And you are never too old to dance. We meet the group of seniors hitting the dance floor for the health of their bodies and minds.
3: I have Alzheimer's disease and I find it hard to remember things, especially for movements. When you practice like this, it helps you to remember. It's keeping me alive, it really is.
2: I'm Alex Hyman and this is Australia Wide. We start along the banks of the Murray River and the ongoing flood crisis at the Victoria New South Wales border. In the twin towns of Moama and Echuca, the frantic work continues to protect thousands of homes and businesses, with those who've stayed continuing their massive sandbagging efforts in a last ditched attempt to safeguard their properties. Residents on the so-called wrong side of a two and a half kilometre levee in Echuca are waiting anxiously to see what impact floodwaters will have on their properties and town. Reporter Callum Marshall spoke with one of the residents, Julie Golledge, earlier today.
0: I'm currently standing on the corner of Bowen Street and Pakenham Street in Achuca, where a 2.5k levee bank um, at, at a height, probably two metres height, um, has been built around to protect Achuca. The levee bank means that my home is on the wrong side of the levee bank, and we are, as a co- to- coiner phrase, uh, the sacrificial lambs to protect Achuca. So at the moment, our house is dry. Um, We can see the river creeping in. It is very slow. Um, It is expected to peak on uh, Friday afternoon, Saturday. So uh, it's just a waiting game at this present time.
4: So you and your family and how many other properties are sort of looking at uh, being in the firing line, so to speak?
0: I believe there's about 80 houses that are involved in this. Uh, the levee we were told at a community meeting on Monday that the levee was being built and um, they started Monday afternoon and they've, they're just doing some final touches now but uh, yeah they've got it all ready to go uh, are waiting for the water to arrive.
4: And with the situation that you've described and waiting for the peak sort of Friday afternoon with what's obviously being forecast at the moment and how the area is sort of set up at the moment with sandbags and tarp and all that unless the the water sort of isn't quite as significant as we're seeing or I guess more sort of support comes in for sandbagging, what kind of impacts could we be looking at here?
0: Where we've built our houses, uh, to um, council approval, um, we've built to a flood height because we are in a water inundation area. So our houses are raised. So if it gets to the height they protected, it's about our floor level. So uh, then our 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 houses will have water in them, but not all houses in this block are built um, are newer houses and are built at that height. Some of them are the old traditional houses of Etchua East, and they will certainly have water in them. It's just, a, I guess, it's just a waiting game.
4: I was going to say for those residents in particular, has the obviously messaging been gone out to effectively just evacuate, particularly if they don't have those houses that can are elevated at a level that can safely deal with the potential while well, the river rises?
0: The town has been told to evacuate. We've chosen to stay, um, uh, and we'll fight. For our house as long as we can. We've sandbagged it um, and we've got plant pumps to pump water out um, if it gets into the subfloor etc. Um, those other houses have been sandbagged probably more extensively than ours have been you know up the walls and things like that compared to ours and um, I'm not sure what they're doing. Uh, some of them might choose to stay, um, some of them will leave, I- I'm not sure.
4: And how far away are you actually from the levee?
0: I'm actually standing on the levee right now. My, my home backs onto the levee, so I, I look at any of my windows and I see the levee. There's water down the end of my street, and there, so there are houses there that have water as, 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 their, as their view at the moment. Um, I'm probably the last one to see the water as it comes closer to the levee.
4: Now, Julia, have you got everything that you and the family need at this moment? Because Yeah,
0: it, yeah, we're, we're, we're prepared. We've got food generators, we've got pumps, we've sandbagged our house, uh, we're together. It's just my husband and myself. So uh, we will fight Mother Nature and uh, do the best that we can to protect um, the home that we've worked for. We're a very strong community-minded little group around here so uh we get together and uh, are looking after each other and we're spotting out for each other so that's that's really good and that's brought us closer together yeah and even with people from the from the right side they're not comfortable with it either so it's it's a very telling time for all of Echuca at the moment in chuka, looking at social media last night just to see the community support is just amazing
2: it was our reporter Callum Marshall speaking there to a Chuka resident Julie Golledge about her flood preparations now this afternoon the Bureau of Meteorology issued an update indicating that the Murray River is now expected to peak sometime on Sunday previously as we heard there it was expected on Saturday the bureau update said the level the river is expected to reach on Sunday is 94.8 meters above sea level that's similar to that reached during the floods in October 1993. You're listening to Australia Wide on ABC Radio. And you are with me, Alex Hyman, in for Sinead Mangan. It's great to have your company. This week is Carers Week, a chance to recognise and celebrate the work that over two and a half million carers do in our community. Unfortunately, despite the rewards of caring for, caring for loved ones at home, ongoing critical respite bed shortages and long wait lists for essential home care services are seriously affecting the health and wellbeing of carers and those they look after. A local group of Mildura nurses have banded together to help. After Nichols Point man and MS sufferer, Robert Hughes was left without any essential care services. Mildura reporter Jennifer Douglas has this story.
5: I live in my home in Nicholls Point. I've lived here for 30 plus years.
6: How important is it to have home service carers come into your home and help you? It's
5: absolutely crucial. If it wasn't for them... I would still be in bed. I can't do anything for myself. When I'm once I'm up and in my chair, I can do things. You know, I can make cups of tea. I can get my lunch out of the fridge. And but other than that, I require help to get in and out of bed, do toiletry, and the shower, and all those general bits and pieces. I require assistance for everything.
6: How difficult is it to access or find home care services?
5: It's quite difficult, but I have been, well I've been doing this for 30 plus years. The last one I used got me out of bed there in the the mornings, organised my lunch, and then I got an email just before lunch saying that was it, they they withdrew services. Didn't give me any reason, nothing, no, no reason, no nothing at all. They just, that was that. So my brother was the only one that was sort of available to help me. And he had no experience whatsoever. We just sort of bumbled through. And that's where my caseworker, she's a nurse, and she got together with, with Sandy and everyone else that they sort of knew. This is how Sandy sort of got started.
6: And so a new nursing agency was born when a group of local nurses came to Robert's rescue.
1: I'm Sandy Young, I'm owner, director of Active Care Nursing Agency. It's been going for about two years and six months. I got called to arms by a a nursing buddy to help a client who was left without any services and it took a team of about eight of us and we went in and started servicing him. He's totally dependent on us and so he was left without services. His family couldn't help because he's a very big man and so a group of us nursing buddies got together and then it was handed to me to do the roster and I've just gone on from there. Why was it so difficult to find care for this gentleman? They decided that they couldn't manage his behaviours as such. We don't see those behaviours because we treat him like a a person and yeah, and he just adores his team. Uh, I'm really lucky that I have a lot of registered nurses and enrolled nurses, and Cert 3s and Cert 4s in individual support and disability care services. So, how important is respite for the families who are caring for people? Oh, it's huge because you. As you can imagine, we as carers, um, we experience burnout, so if you're with a family member 24 hours a day and you don't get the opportunity to go away overnight, you don't get the opportunity to go on holiday without your responsibility of looking after that person that you care for, we just allow them to have that time by taking them into the respite house and looking after them.
6: How many respite
1: services are available locally? There's a few with the bigger companies, The aged care facilities have respite but they're so booked out for up to 18 months in advance and then there's other places such as SRS, Trio, they all have respite homes as well as far as I'm aware. Mm. There's no, no availability, no spaces because they're very limited.
6: What what drives you
1: to, to do this? I don't know, I guess it's my heart. <laughs> yeah, it's just something I've always, you know, always done. It's always been about the client and and my staff. Are, they're like a family, my staff. And anybody that works with me, they know it's a family-run little business. And it started out as a little business and unfortunately, it's expanded so quickly that I'm struggling to keep up. Some of the needs of
6: these patients and their families for respite is because they are faced with these intense situations. Absolutely, 24/7.
1: yeah, it's horrendous, it really is. What some families go through, it would make you cry and it does, it makes me cry and that's why I get so passionate and emotional because I see what they go through.
6: So if some of these families were, if you weren't providing a service or waiting 18
1: months just for a rest, they just go without. How does that affect their mental health? They end up in hospital and then we've got to try and find placement somehow, the hospital gets the problem, sometimes it's a, a double admission of, you know, grandma and, and the carer. Yeah, so, it's it's tough. It really is tough, which is why I'm out there doing a tiny little bit, in the, a drop in the ocean. Yeah, I just wish I, I could do more.
2: <laughs> that was nurse Sandy Young ending that story from Jennifer Douglas in Mildura. Let's go now to the indigenous community of Warman, where it's been a year of heartache for many residents. On October 18 last year, one of their own, Jeremiah Rivers, went missing during a pig hunting trip in outback Queensland. Family members are deeply hurt and frustrated as the case continues to yield no answers. This week, they marked a year since the man they called J.O. was last seen. Here's Kununurra reporter Ted (laughs) O'Connor.
7: Anne Rivers weeps at the thought of her grandson, who's still missing. About a hundred of her friends and family have just released balloons into the air, marking a year since Jeremiah Rivers went missing.
1: Say 12 months today has been a very long and dark road. Not seeing him around, it's a heartbreaking thing. I thank everyone for the yellow balloons today. That's the hope we need, but the heart is still being broken because there's no closure.
7: Last year on October 18, Jeremiah Rivers was on a pig hunting trip with six other companions. They were camped at Whippo Creek near Nakundra in southwest Queensland. Those men say Mr Rivers wandered off about mid-morning, and he hasn't been seen since. The man known as Jo was an experienced Gidja Bushman. Here's his grandmother, Shirley Purdy. He was one of them bright
1: boy and he used to go out hunting, he would start learning for cooking kangaroo in like Aboriginal way with his big brother. I I get worried but I talk, I pray and tell the Lord to take my worry and keep it from him.
7: Last year detectives revealed they were treating Mr Rivers' disappearance as suspicious. But since then Queensland Police have released almost no new details about the case. The state's coroner is now waiting for police to hand over their investigative materials. Loved ones hope this will lead to an inquest and possibly a breakthrough.
8: Around, looking around now, there's a lot of broken hearts. STEO is a big role model to our family, even the community. It's very sad that we don't have answers. It's just, it's not right what we're getting at the moment, you know. Just silence at the moment. and it's. We don't need that, we need answers to find out where our brother is.
7: That's Basil Oldhouse. He says Jeremiah Rivers was his best mate. Young boys in Darwin
8: grew up on the same footy team and sort of moved back here with him and his family, and he's just a big role model to our family back home here. He just, yeah, just wanted him to come home.
7: John Purdy says he misses his big brother and the joy he brings to the community. He's like a missing, sort of, a missing puzzle to, to the piece, like.
6: As you see today, everyone's gathered around and um, still something missing from this group and hopefully we'll get some answers soon um, to be, you know,
7: a whole family again. This weekend, Mr Rivers' former teammates, who play for the Waratah Football Club in Darwin will wear yellow armbands. Queensland Police declined to provide an update on the case, given the matter was before the coroner.
2: Ted O'Connor there, reporting from the East Kimberley. This is ABC Australia Wide. Though Queensland will no longer rely on coal-fired power by 2035, the state will still be producing and exporting large amounts of coal into the near future, with no signs of the industry slowing down anytime soon. Production and export is set to increase, especially for metallurgical coal, and applications for new mines, and to extend existing ones, are still coming through. Katrina Bevan has more.
9: Last month, in announcing the $62 billion clean energy plan, Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk confirmed export demand for Queensland metallurgical coal, which is used to make steel, would remain strong for some time. Central Queensland is home to a large number of metallurgical coal miners, including Bowen Coking Coal. It has two mines in the area and two other projects it hopes to bring online in the near future. And executive chairman Nick Joce says the area is very important to the global market.
8: The Bowen Basin is the you know, dominant exporter of metallurgical coal um, uh, in the world. It's got some of the highest quality metallurgical coal uh, in the world. So Queensland's you know, economy is underwritten by the coal industry. It's, a, it's the engine room of the economy, uh, and that's not going anywhere, you know, despite the rhetoric. So there's a increasing demand for steel, not just for third world countries uh, industrialising, but also now increasingly for first world countries that want to uh, decarbonise because you need steel to do that and coking coal is a key uh, ingredient of that.
9: While demand and price for Australia's metallurgical coal rose to record highs earlier this year, it has since eased with prices forecasted to drop further. According to the federal government's latest Resources and Energy quarterly report, metallurgical export earnings surged to $66 billion in the 2021-2022 financial year but the earnings are expected to ease to a still high $44 billion by the 2023-24 financial year. The exports are also set to reach 180 million tonnes by then, up from 171 million tonnes last year. Though Mr Jaws says there is still some concern the energy plan will have a flow-on effect on investment in the metallurgical coal industry.
8: Well, I think as a state and as an industry we need to you know we need to make make a lot of a stronger case uh, of the benefits of coal and metallurgical coal in particular, but thermal coal as well, which is keeping the lights on up until the point in which we've got something that we can transition to.
9: But others want to see less reliance on coal. Dr. Coral Rouston, Director of Environmental Advocacy in Central Queensland or ENVA, says although the energy plan is steering the state towards using renewables, the government needs to stop allowing new coal mines.
0: To start with, Queensland has got the lowest emissions targets of every state in Australia, well below even the federal target of 42%. Queensland's still sitting at 30%. There is no way that we can meet any of our global targets if we keep pulling new stuff out of the ground. Let the existing ones run their course. And that should see the world through for as long as we need.
9: But applications for new mines and to expand existing ones are still coming. Just a week after the energy plan was released, BM Alliance Coal Operations, a joint venture between BHB and Mitsubishi, applied to expand the life of its Peak Downs mine in central Queensland by 93 years. In its Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Referral to the Federal Government, the company proposes expanding the mine's area by about 4,000 hectares. If approved, the mine would not close until 2116, something Dr Rouston strongly opposes.
0: That is just um, absolutely ridiculous. The whole world is moving away from coal. Queensland's moving away from it faster, but the rest of the world isn't going to need coal for that length of time either.
9: There are currently 86 coal mines in Queensland, according to the state's Department of Resources. Of those, 49 are operating, 5 are in care and maintenance, 19 are in pre-construction, 8 in development and 5 in rehabilitation. The department also confirmed 17 mining lease applications for new coal projects are processing through assessment, with nine of those before the land court.
2: That story from Katrina Bevan. And finally, let's head to Port Macquarie on the New South Wales mid-north coast where a group of dancers are showing off the benefits of staying active and proving you're never too old to hit the dance floor. And while they're at it, they are making new friends and keeping their brains fighting fit. Port Macquarie reporter Laurie Dixon has this story.
3: They look at us and think, silly old ladies, why are they doing that? But, you know, get up there and have a go at it because it's really good.
10: At a studio in Port Macquarie, a group of dancers are performing the traditional Ukrainian dance, the Kazachok. Twice a week for the last 14 years, the University of the Third Age dance troupe have been coming together to bust a move. But to them, it's more than just a dance class. It, there is something to be said for dancing, and it certainly improves one's um, well-being. Having learnt and taught dances from around the world, Christine Batterson wanted to share her love of dance and its benefits with her local community after she retired. The reason we come here is a, the camaraderie, the social
1: aspect of it, um, the physical exercise that we get out of this um, particular activity, it improves our balance and mm-hmm. memories, and of course, uh, above everything else, we just love the music.
10: Starting with just three members the U3A dance group has now grown to 25 dancers ranging from their 60s even into their mid-80s.
1: A lot of ladies at our age are all dealing with different um, problems at home and um, they basically come here in a way as a form of escapism because they know that by the end of the, the session they will go Leave here on an absolute high, and that will boost their morale, and
3: they will feel much happier.
10: After being diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease four years ago, 80 year old men almost quit dancing for good. When you're told you've got
3: Alzheimer's, you know, dementia, your brain's going. Of course, I was teaching year 11 and 12 French and German, and suddenly I couldn't even speak English. But as you can see now, I'm managing pretty well.
10: But her friends at U3A convinced Lynn to keep dancing and she credits the group for improving her condition
3: and giving her a new lease at life. The big one is the forgetfulness that comes with Alzheimer's and uh, when you practise like this, it helps you to remember. And my geriatrician thinks it's wonderful that I'm doing this and I also do gym. I've got much more self-esteem than I had. It's keeping me alive, it really is.
1: We'll just go through the patterns of the polonaise.
10: 83-year-old Robin grew up dancing, but after having a family, she gave it up. That was until Christine and the U3A dance
3: troupe came along in 2009. Because I'm part of one of the demonstration groups with Christine and we're all little show ponies there, (laughs) even though the feet don't come up as high anymore and that, but we, you know, enjoy
10: it. After surviving bowel cancer in 2006 and breaking her hip earlier this year, Robin has almost made a full recovery and is determined to dance at the U3A end of year concert. But she owes the dance group more than just her physical health. I was speaking
3: to Christine on the phone a week or so ago and I said, Christine, I think I've turned the corner now because, you know, I'm on my own. My husband passed away nearly two years ago and I've just had to get out and do it and I'm not a person to sit at home doing nothing. I don't think I could do without any sort of dancing. You've got to live every day as if it's your last one because one day it's going to be your last one, so you may as well enjoy it.
2: What a great motto. Larise Dixon speaking to members of the U3A Seniors Dance Troupe in Port Macquarie. What a great story. And that is Australia Wide for this Thursday. I'm Alex Simon. I'll be back again with you tomorrow. Have a wonderful evening. Cheerio.